This is another episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. It is. Yes, uh, that's true. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am greeted by a couple of other people. <laughs> I'm Catherine Urbino, also of Above the Law. I'm uh, Chris Williams, and I'm just basking in Joe's uh, more joyous than normal tone. This is phenomenal, actually. I'm doing what I can to ho, change. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, Merry that, Christmas. That, that, yes. that, is, that is not what's causing it. I'm trying <laughs> to, I'm trying my best to shake up the opening just so, you know, it can so not. You, you think I won't interrupt you then? No. Is that the theory? No, I'm, I'm trying to come mm. up with ways in which You've I can feature up. the interruption uh, in make it, mm. make it mm. work. I like that you no longer fight against it. I mean, I, I understand what I'm up against. <laughs> Giving up is really in right now, especially considering like, you know, um, Elon's just, Ooh. should I give this up thing? Is this a segue? That Into was, oh. Small talk. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so Elon Musk is giving up. Yes, he- um, he, he might be. He, the poll he, certainly suggested that he should be giving up control of Twitter. My God. He won't. He won't. Spoiler alert. All, I think that yeah. all people with shame kinks need to take note of what Elon is doing. This is the most public embarrassment I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, this dude paid $44 billion for an L mm-hmm. that is, like, I mean, being documented. <laughs> yeah, like it, and that's the thing. I, I had a conversation with one of our columnists, Liz Dye, the other, the other day where she was saying, you know, that maybe it's time to to – be done with Twitter and cancel your account and everything. And I was like, but then I would miss the real time meltdown. Like watching, <laughs> watching Musk flail every day is one joy. of the most interesting, entertaining things I do. You know, Fuck it's, missing the real time meltdown that, but also catching the tweets that then get deleted that people catch because it's fucking Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so from a quasi legal perspective, the, the issue that got me about, this poll is well, one. This is not how companies should be managed by mm-hmm. user poll, but also even it's a private company, whatever. But he also is the CEO of a public company whose value is going in the tank. And at what point does a shareholder say, a, a Tesla shareholder say, "Wait a minute, your ero- your actions at your private little hobby house are eroding the value of the stock that I bought." I mean, it's not untrue. I mean, I think an enterprising plaintiff's attorney out there could uh, could be cooking Make up some a class hay. action, yeah, for all the sharehold, uh, share, well, not class, uh, shareholder derivative action. Yeah, I don't know. That was my takeaway from it. Both and, like, yes, that's like the, the duh, but also I did not have potential antitrust lawsuit from Elon buying Twitter on my bingo. Like, there was a point where he was like, yeah, if you use this to link to Mastodon or mm-hmm. Instagram or Facebook, we're bent. I'm like, that is straight up like anti-competitive. There's no way like Twitter isn't in a like a major market controller in whatever social media. I, I don't know as though it's market. I, I don't know as though it's market control. This is where Catherine, we it's defer to. It's fucking Twitter. 
No, uh, not uh, yeah, exactly. I don't think it's even close to being. The, I mean, you can say disparaging things about your opponents, right? Like the whole Coke, the Pepsi, Pepsi Coke wars, the cola wars, like that whole thing, right? It's not like you can't say to people whatever. Uh, and I, I mean, I think this is probably a fine, like in, legally okay rule. I think it's dumb. No, it was like yeah. if you reference, he said, if you if you reference or acknowledge that a competitor exists on this platform, I'm blocking you. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think there's anything legally wrong with that. Yeah. I think it is. I think it, it's. Really? D- I think it would be a very novel legal theory to pursue. Yeah. No, but what I do think though is that when the only value to Twitter is the fact that there's a community, mm. uh, <laughs> telling people that they're getting kicked off because they do other things is problematic. You know, well, and it, they aren't even things that directly compete, which is another part of it, right? Like, people are I don't not, put the same stuff on yeah. Twitter that I put on Instagram. Exactly. If you're an artist, that's probably so, doubly true. So Macedon yeah. isn't being, like, touted as, like, the new re- the replacement for Twitter? Well, well, no, that's a good point. Now, Macedon, of course, is uh, trying to directly compete. Uh, and, and I should I also it, mention that, like, I'm a fan of the Sherman Act back when people were like, oh, this company is literally bigger than I'd like it to be. That's a violation. Like uh, over time, the Sherman Act kind of got like cut at the knee. So I mean, it's certainly not employed uh, as liberally as it once was. But I, I mean, it's coming I, back though. Well, this is a question, which is Catherine. why I'm hopeful. <laughs> well, this is a question, Catherine. Now, if you define the market as social media, obviously Twitter does not have monopoly power or anything close to it. But if you define it very narrowly as like micro blogging platforms, where it's just Twitter versus mm-hmm. Mastodon. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's interesting, but sort of a, a legal counter argument is that whatever the policy, and it was only implemented for a very short amount of True. time. It's gone uh, now. It's gone now. Uh, but also, what has the actual impact been on Mastodon? I think that everything has been a tremendous increase in the amount of users on Mastodon. That's so a I'm good not point. sure that what well, the harm I, I is. Didn't, I, didn't know that, I didn't know that the Sherman Act had a time frame had a caveat. And also... Oh There's sure, it does. The, yeah, sure, yeah. So like you can you can just be anti you can be hella anti competitive, and if it's only like two days, you're fine. Well, you have to measure what the impact right. of the anti competitiveness it, was. The, what becomes the impact if it's something that has only been in, was in effect for two days? The impact is obviously a lot smaller than a policy that lasted for two years. Which also this goes back to Catherine's point, which I think is the actually correct one that uh, eh. you know befitting somebody who actually practiced in this area yeah, a little bit uh, when True. the. When the impact was not to kill Mastodon, but instead to drive Mastodon signups 4,000 times up, uh, then same that probably post, same for. it suggests that there isn't much harm yeah. uh, when all it did was force more people over there. Yeah. But doesn't, doesn't, doesn't the Sherman Act tradition look at intent rather than outcome? There's two different kinds of of litigation under the Sherman Act, right? One is a private plaintiff, like if Mastodon wanted to sue, or if the government went after it. The government is not going to do that. First of all, by the time they got mm-hmm. around to it, question what's left of Twitter, right? But when you're talking about a private plaintiff, obviously you want to look at what the harm of, what the impact was. Like you need the, damages right. uh, if you're pursuing a private right. claim. They will be trebled because it's antitrust. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but I mean, they, I mean, this all goes back to how you end up with these cases where somebody wins but only wins a dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that stuff happens because... Sure. There's no real direct damage. If you want to talk about time frame, I think that there's a the the there's a significance on like how quickly there was a backlash against Mastodon. Cause like there could have been 
more of a change over to Mastodon than what is now, but for the chilling effect that the ban had. Well, did it chill, though? I mean, the numbers for Mastodon went up, I, like I said, something like 4,000. I don't know about Shaw, but when I, when, I, when I read the terms and conditions, it was like, if you make any reference to uh, a prior platform, I was like, oh, shit, does the ATL blog on Twitter have a reference to our, tw- to our Instagram? Right. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. But that but that wouldn't be a chilling effect on going to Mastodon. Like right. they, I see. Yeah, exactly. No, but like, but like, it, like it also like it also prevented like link trees in people's bios. I mean, yeah, I, but, I could be wrong with I also right. just I was essentially just have the conversation. Well, first yeah. of all, it it's again, no longer their pla- mm-hmm. their policy, first of all. But second sure, of all, sure, yeah. it doesn't necessarily chill how people use Mastodon. It maybe chills what you do on their own platform, but it doesn't, I don't know that there's a direct link between what happens on other platforms and this policy on Twitter. It is interesting. The best analogy I heard for it was from um, a senior lawyer at a big law firm who I follow who referred to the policy as this would be like, eating at Olive Garden and then kicking you out because they overheard that last week you had a burger at Burger Chili's, King or yeah. something. Yeah, or <laughs> Chili's or whatever. Uh, it's just not really, it, it's a dumb policy. I don't necessarily know as though it's anti-competitive, but it is It is a really bad one, which is why, yes. probably why it's gone. And probably why Somebody probably spoke to him about it. Probably why he's <laughs> trying to get out. Anyway, um, so this is great. I love this conversation. Um, and this conversation was... Small talk, believe it or not, the whole time. Yeah, so we haven't even talked about the big stories of the week that we wanted to talk about. Uh, What do we want to talk about first? Do we want to go law or court, or what do we want to do? I literally don't care. Let's (laughs) let's talk about flip an invisible coin, but (laughs) let's talk about tails. Let's talk about law firms then. So uh, we heard that uh, Jones Day, a little birdie, told us. Also, plug reminder tips if you have weird things are going down at your law firm your law school anything in the legal industry you can always send us a note tips at above the law.com all our sources are kept strictly confidential excellent point so you can uh jones day a law firm that we have talked a lot about over the years uh obviously there's that great book servants of the damned which you should pick up uh if you're doing actually giving it to my cousin for uh, a christmas gift he's headed to uh, law school in the fall and i want to be like here this is what can happen if it's bad. Yeah. So Joe's day, we found out that there was an associate who lateraled out of the firm in June or July. Sometimes earlier in About the year. About halfway through the year. Yeah. And uh, thought everything was fine. You know, got the usual send off that people get when they lateral from big law firms. And then got a little holiday treat from his old firm, an email saying, uh, you didn't stay with us for a full two years. So... Here's your bill for bar prep services and uh, your pay during bar study. That, uh, please give us $3,300 or whatever it was. Some cheap ass shit right there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what that is. I mean, come on. You are a global law firm. Take the L on the $3,300. Well, yeah. Me personally, I'm built different. I would just have said, oh, no, that's in my spam folder. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Well, I mean, eventually, yeah. I mean, there is something to be said for is it, does Jones Day care enough to file a lawsuit against this kid for it? But I, it just struck me as really ridiculous petty. on a lot of levels. Small-minded. Yeah, it, it's petty. It's dumb. Uh, it's horrible publicity and all. But it just look. I, it, somebody commented uh, when I posted this on social media, uh, the aforementioned Twitter, actually. 
someone replied that, you know, you see this a lot with small and regional firms. And I thought, yeah, I, I, like if you're a small firm, first of all, a lot of small firms don't pay for you to take the bar yep. and take three months off. But if you are a small firm that did that, I can understand why you actually have some reason to believe that Your you margins know, we need- are not nearly as obscene as yeah. they are in big law. Yeah. The, okay. So you do need to stick around a little bit so that we can get our uh, get our money back. Uh, fine. This is not the situation at Jones Day. A law firm where let's conservatively estimate what a uh, young associate is billing out at. They they made they cleared over the over the salary and all adjusted expenses. They cleared something like one or two million dollars off of the investment in this person, all before lateraling. So mm-hmm. you've already made a profit of neighborhood of a million, million and a half or whatever, and now you're complaining about thirty three hundred bucks. Yeah. It, it's hey, it's small. It's 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 a small move, uh, and I also think like what a way to sour the relationship between the associate mm-hmm. and the firm. Even if you know, maybe I'd pay it, maybe I wouldn't, whatever. But the amount of uh, vindictiveness I would continue to hold in my heart at a law firm that demanded that back is going to it's be high. legendary. Yeah, I just want to say, in defense of Jones Day, what if the associate had bad vibes? You know, well, what if they had the audacity to wear Argyle socks in 2022? Fair. Now, but that that's a great question. So is this a situation where there was some sort of a rift that they're trying to, you know, be petty and vengeful over, at which point it really raises the question of how appropriate it is to selectively deploy a policy like this. Uh, I mean, are they going after everyone who laterals uh, with this bill? More importantly, considering that it's Jones Day, were they going after people who were bolting to become deputy U.S. attorney in mm-hmm. some backwards MAGA world? Uh, because, look, we know that the Trump administration actively drew from Jones Day and drew from not particularly qualified people at Jones Day in its mad dash. Not according to, find, to the ABA. Yeah, not. I mean, it was trying to fill jobs with people who are a very small minority of lawyers uh, because most lawyers are capable of, you know, not Reason. being MAGA people. Yeah. And so they were they were really digging, which is why they put up they created a federal judge out of an associate there. Uh the associate. ABA, the ABA was a little concerned about that. Lord. Uh an associate who only worked there for ten months. Now that's different than lateraling, but, but as is a po- it? you're not getting your money back as if a policy you're Jones goes. Day. Yeah. As a policy goes, uh they pay clerkship bonuses to this person and then she left to become Which are larger than your bar costs. Right. And then she left to be a federal judge. Now they may not have put in their employment agreement that there's a clawback on clerkship bonuses, but that also is a choice. Mm-hmm. They basically said there's some money that we pay people that we don't care about getting back and some that we do. And, you know, that's all a choice and not a particularly good one. Uh, I mean, listen, they have that clause in there. Use it for, it's probably been incredibly effective for years, which is that plenty of people don't consider lateral options until after they've hit that two-year mark. Right. Take the W on what you've already used it for, and the $3,000 is completely meaningless. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild. But, you know, I think, I think, we, I think we could safely say that Jones Day does not care about its public image at this point, with the exception of Kevin Orr, like, whining about it all the time uh, to anybody who questions the firm. Everybody else at that firm seems to be... 
really leaning into the Voldemort style uh, <laughs> reputation that they have. So, yeah, very much so. Oh, well, just a, just uh, a quick aside. Yeah. Sure. For anybody listening, if somebody ever identifies as a Slytherin, you should not trust them. <laughs> you just don't. They were the Nazis. They had slaves. They called them house elves. Don't mm-hmm. trust Slytherins. And if your firm has Slytherin vibes, be better. Now, Chris is talking about Harry Potter books for anybody who didn't know that. <laughs> like, since, since now this show has official policy of explaining every pop culture reference. Harry Potter, great book written by a turf. Used to be yeah. homeless, oddly enough. You know, yeah. but she's, you know, she's, she's great now. Yeah, you know, I I was thinking about this this morning. Like, in some ways, you got to respect her because most people with billion dollars in franchise rights constantly coming into their house might just, you know, sit down and soak it up. But she she commits so to her, hard to lose that. Her, money. She commits to her ill informed informed bigotry to Wait. the point where she's willing to cut co- it to cost it. Yeah. If memory serves, I think she's one of the first few people who like lost billionaire status because of how much money she was giving to charities. Oh, maybe, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I could be wrong, I, I but that know. feels right. We should just say she doesn't care about the money. She's going to do what she wants, you know. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Gee, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. All right, so Catherine, you wrote something about the Fifth Circuit and refusals. Yeah, well, uh, you might remember uh, a year or so ago, the Wall Street Journal did this massive story about all these conflicts that federal judges had, all the stock that they owned, and they still heard cases where the company that they owned stock of was a party to the litigation. So they obviously had a financial interest in the outcome, potentially had a financial outcome, uh, interest in the outcome of the litigation, but failed to recuse themselves. In this case, the this is a Sloan Roberts was sued Walmart, and the judge in her case, Rebecca Doherty, did not recuse herself. She should have. She owned stock. She should have recused herself. Did not. Now the plaintiff has come back and said, well, we should vacate the results of that case and let's start all over again with a judge that is not, you know, financially interested in the outcome of the case. Fifth Circuit disagrees. Um, <laughs> yeah, Fifth Circuit basically said, you know, we we think this was really bad, and we are going to publicly call out how bad it was. Yeah, but that are- is the only remedy if you have a judge that failed to recuse themselves when they should have. 
And uh, look, well, I think a lot of us who went through law school had that moment where you learn that, you know, there are rules. Uh, this comes up there are most. rules, man. Well, okay. This comes up a lot mo more in criminal procedure situations where, oh, you know, that was, that was an illegal search. And what did the court do about that illegal search? They said, eh, probably would have found it anyway. Go forward. Um, the number of times that you start running into in law school situations where the law is the rules are broken and the courts say it's just too much of a burden for us to redo all this. So we're just going to go ahead and call it even on the from the court's perspective. We have this Wall Street Journal report that came out with, you know, hundreds of judges in hundreds and hundreds it's of cases, over a thousand cases, yeah, we, it, over a thousand cases were improperly hearing the case based on the ethical rules that are applied to applied to judges. From the court's perspective, reopening all those cases just because the judges screwed up is a massive drain on judicial resources. Totally. On the other hand, rules were broken, and you have to have some sort of consequence for this. Listen, it's clearly a weighing that has to happen, but I think in this decision, the Fifth Circuit is coming out pretty clearly that they are going to be very heavily on the side of keeping the status quo, that unless there's some very obvious evidence of um, bias or the ruling was wrong in some other way or if the issue had otherwise been preserved, perhaps. But most likely, if the only issue is that the judge had stock in one of the parties in the case, they are unlike, very, very unlikely to let you have a new trial. It's a reckoning that, that has implication. I look, obviously, we talk about the Supreme Court having the most ethical problems because it has no real ethical rules at all. However, when the federal judiciary gets tagged with thousands of cases being compromised, when the response to that is, let's just let's just ignore all this, mm -hmm. uh, it's not doing any wonders for the public faith in the courts, uh, which seems like it seems like something that's going to become an increasing problem in coming years for reasons above and beyond just ethics. Uh, we talked already about putting associates who have 10 months of legal practice under their belt on the federal bench. Uh, mm -hmm. Not great. Uh, when these sorts of issues are going to keep compounding, uh, taking a hands-off approach to ethical violations certainly seems like it could backfire. And let's not forget, these are all federal cases. These are all federal judges which are underneath the Supreme Court. Yes, there are no ethical rules that apply to the Supreme Court, but the constant barrage of stories that are ethics corruption, another ethics scandal, the Supreme Court. Will they ever, you know, do something about the Clarence Thomas and Ginny Thomas problem? This all f fuels a general sense of corruption about not just the Supreme Court, but the whole system at, at large. And in the face of knowing that we have these sort of record low opinions of the federal court system, the Fifth Circuit being like, eh, too yeah. bad, so sad. It's not a great look. The uh, Yeah, no. For the first time ever, a good news, FedSoc, for the first time ever, we found something that trickles down. Uh, <laughs> and in this case, unfortunately, it's ethics problems. So we just had, last week, uh, this actually happened a week and a half ago, but we didn't really get an opportunity to talk about it at the last recording. So let's talk about it now. Brett Kavanaugh went to a party. Woo! Yeah, it's, I mean, it's holiday it's, time. It's a holiday yeah. season, you know, you so gotta. He, so he went partying with, you know, Matt Gates, who oh. you may remember has a, has had a sex trafficking of a minor probe 
looming over him for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, they, the Department of Justice ultimately determined not to pursue charges there. However, since then, his alleged co-conspirator in that situation has pleaded guilty and been sentenced to a decade in prison. So, you know. Not a great look. Uh, it, it's not a great look, but it's also a situation where uh, a person uh, who, at least according to the leaks we'd already had, might be in a position to, you know, testify sure. uh, for some benefits, uh, now has every incentive to testify to get some benefits. So, you know, not a great time to be hitching your star to that wagon. Uh, but Brett Kavanaugh went went to this party with hanging out with him. Uh, he was hanging out with, you know, Eric Prince, who has uh, who ran a company where several of his employees in the course of doing their job ended up being convicted of murder and manslaughter. Well, uh, you know. You know, I mean, break a few eggs. You have uh, Alex Acosta, who, the former cabinet official, but who is also best known as the- Letting Jeffrey Epstein go. The prosecutor who determined that Jeffrey, when they caught Jeffrey Epstein the first time, yeah, slap on the wrist. Uh, also, not a great person. Put aside Kavanaugh, not a great person for Gates to be seen with, probably <laughs> right now. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the kind of party, and it raises the question- you know, like there are no ethical rules, obviously, for the Supreme Court, but uh, it, this is not great for Just the courts. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. It's not great for the court's credibility, legitimacy, and appearances. Uh, I, I, you know, we wrote this story, and a lot of people pushed back saying, oh, you know, it's just a Christmas party. He was friends with the hosts. Uh, the, the hosts being the people who run CPAC. You know, what you can't really blame him for wanting to to accepting an invite to some, he's not responsible for the guest list. He just accepted an invite from his friends. And all I could think about that is, I think people are underselling the ethical complications here. I mean, Steve Miller was at this party, and Steve Miller, of course, has cases in front of the court this term. Uh, so not great. Uh, and they say, oh, well, what are the chances of they, you know, lawyers run into each other at parties all the time. It's like, yeah, they run into each other at the bar association or something. But, you know, that's not a place where people talk ex parte lobbying because they expect people to overhear them and snitch. Uh, this is the kind of party it looks like by the guest list where everybody was not going to snitch if something like that happened. Yeah, and the way that the party itself, I believe, was initially reported, it was very much as like a society report, like, oh, so-and-so yeah. seemed... Oh, Politico's just terrible. Yeah, well. But but uh, I, I just want to point out, though, like, we had the conversation very recently of how Sam Alito skirted off all of these ethical violations about potentially divulging the Hobby Lobby decision before it was released by mm -hmm. saying, oh, no, it didn't really happen. But but the problem with that story, the allegations of that story were he went to private parties with people right. with business before the court and was telling them what was going on. We, we just went through the situation that is exactly what's being discussed here. Uh, we all felt skeeved out by that situation. And now here it is again. So I don't think it's uh, these people trying to blow it off as, oh, well, it's just kind of a party are, are missing the point, really, because it's the kind of party that is exactly what we just had an ethical blow up over. Mm -hmm. And here it is again, uh, but also with the more salacious and comedic value of Matt Gates and Alex <laughs> Acosta being there, which, yeah, it, it just really um, this is the world uh, the court lives in right now. I don't know if. The chief is even attempting to talk to his charges about, you know, behaving themselves in public, but certainly not great. Yeah, you know, the other thing people said, 
I got flack from some wackos saying like, <laughs> oh, well, you didn't criticize Sonia Sotomayor for speaking at ACS. And I was like, yeah, I didn't. I don't criticize the justice, the conservative justices for speaking at FedSoc per se either. Uh, I think that's perfectly fine. And I'm I like, think that criticizing the content of either of those speeches right. is very much fair game. Exactly. And, and right. just as if, if Justice Sotomayor had used her ACS speech to be basically a political rally, I would criticize that. But just going there and giving a talk, I don't see as a problem, nor do I think that's true of the conservative justices, but for how they structured their speeches there. But Mm-hmm. For years before this this one where Alito basically turned it into a rally, I've not had any issues with, with them speaking at FedSoc. I think that's perfectly fine. In fact, also, ACS, I, I went to ACS only once, and there, and there was a Supreme Court justice who spoke, and it was a Republican. So I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's as, as right-wing as, as people uh, want to play it up. But yeah, it, this is distinct from speaking at academic leaning judicial legal nerd conferences. I mean, this is a party and the I, I think everybody has the the flip side. They were like, oh, this is just a party. It's different than those kind of events. And I was like, actually, those events are less problematic than a party. Mm-hmm. I feel like a party with these people before the court, business before the court is uniquely worse. Yeah. But anyway. But here we are. More, more problems for the court's the, credibility. The mere appearance of impropriety is not anything these Hello folks well. <laughs> care about at this point. No, 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 no. The mere appearance is the problem. Appearance of impropriety is okay. <laughs> you just got to. You yeah. just can't half-ass it. Like if you're going to, okay. if you're going to yeah, fuck up, fair. fuck up royally. I, I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> or like, supremely, actually. You know, go, uh, go, go supreme or go home. You yeah, feel me? I, I like it. I like it. You know what else I like? What do you like? When people subscribe to the show so they Ooh. get new episodes when they come out, uh, which is always great. You should be- Give us uh, reviews, not just the stars. Yes. Though obviously we'll take them, but the written reviews help us move up the algorithm and help other people find us as a legal podcast. I think that's true. Uh, you should listen to the Jabot, Catherine's other podcast. You can hear me on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. You can also hear listen to all the various shows of the Legal Talk Network. You should read Above the Law, see these stories and more as they come out. You can follow it on the the twits at For now. ATL blog. Uh, it also, also on Mastodon at ATL blog. Okay, it's also ATL blog on Mastodon. I'm Joseph Patrice on Twitter, which funny story, I was Joe Patrice on Twitter, but I was such an early adopter that I signed up didn't really do anything with it for several years. And then when Twitter came back around, I couldn't figure out how to log myself back in, <laughs> which is why I created the new Joseph Patrice, which I am there. Uh, to the extent I'm on other platforms, I'm Joe Patrice uh, at Mastodon. We and, don't have those rules, you can say, you know, yeah. which platform. Oh, exactly, <laughs> at Mastodon and in about 20 minutes post. Catherine is at Catherine1, the numeral one, at Twitter. I'm at Catherine1 at social on Mastodon, and I'm at Catherine Rubino at on post. Okay. Catherine1 was not available. Oh, I didn't know that you got your post approved too. All I right. Did. So, yeah, I just haven't had time to sign up for it. And uh, Chris is at Rights for Rent on Twitter. And I'm at Trump Lives Matter on Parlor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so you're you're just still on that for now. I'm just still on just Twitter. Twitter. All right. Okay. Good. 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 Anyway, you know, we, it's, it's making this whole section more complex every day <laughs> and longer. Yeah. Uh, Can't but just that's, fast forward through it. 
Uh, that's true. You shouldn't because there's so much good banter. So in much. Yo, oh, so much. All right. Anyway, so with all that said, I think we are uh, done. Peace. Bye. Don't trust Slytherins. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.